Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, everyone. Hello. As we have said prior weeks, we are in it. This is a yeah. different vibe for this school year. We are hopeful. And whether, yeah, that, I mean, that, whether you started a couple weeks ago or you just started, we are in this kind of beginning stages where hopefully teams are starting to gather some information, seeing how, you know, these kiddos are doing and, you know, rapport building and all of that. And um, as we gear up to start beginning of the school year IEPs, which actually I just had one this morning already on, it was a kid's only second day of school, which was really nice because we got everything going for the school year. But I know a lot of times we try to have IEPs within those first 30 days, whether we're transitioning to a new school or a new program or we just want to see how the start of the school year goes. Yeah. And sometimes there's lingering things that need to be addressed in the new school year from the last school year. So that's why you might, you know, have an IEP meeting within the first week, right? Uh, Yeah, yeah. not typical. Usually we want to get some information, some data. We want the teacher to be able to as best as they can in, in the first 30 days, get a feel for the kiddo and their unique needs and personality so that they can really help change the IEP if changes need yeah. to be made at first 30 day IEP. Yeah. And so we thought this was a great opportunity to kind of talk through some tips and tricks on how to navigate these IEP meetings and really work as a collaborative team all together. You know, we often give you little tidbits here and there on ways that we can be more effective communicators and listeners and work collaboratively with our IEP team. But we have some great guests today to really dive deeper into that topic. Yes, Tamara, Peggy, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. Peggy, I think I'll start with you. Do you want to say hello and kind of introduce yourself and give a little bit of background to our listeners? Sure. Amanda and Vicki, thank you so much for inviting Tamara and I to talk with you today. My background is language and communication. I am a licensed speech language pathologist, a school administrator, and I have private practice that I started at after leaving public education called Speaking Skillfully, Mm. which works with families and educators as well as businesses on how to be an effective communicator. So that's really what I do. I also serve on the board of a couple of not-for-profit organizations with keeping in mind the, the concepts of special education as my area of expertise, but it's all about communication. And you are so right. It's about parents and educators working together as a team, as partners, not just being on the same <laughs> team. And I think that's what we saw as a problem and why we wrote our book. Tamara, why don't you tell us about you? 
Hi, my name is Tamara Jacobson. So like Peggy, I am an educational consultant and a communication expert and an author. We've been on some national tours with our book. And also I am the executive director of East Coast Educational Consulting, where I helped school districts and families bridge that gap so that they understand one another and that they're working most likely on the same team, putting the child's needs in the center of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And we're just thrilled that our book has had, you know, just a (coughs) following. And we really, our end game is to make sure that school districts and families, members all have their voices heard at the table, putting the child's needs number one first. So that's been great. I mean, you are our people. So we, we are just as thrilled to, to have you on. What I want to start with, Tamara, I guess we could start with you. What would be your definition of effective communication? So we have to look at active listening and mm-hmm. we have to look at effectively communicating, which Peggy and I created something very unique, and it is completely about effective communication. It's called the 5C model. It's a theoretical framework that we lay out in our book, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. But when you effectively communicate, you have to be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to perspective take. You have mm-hmm. to care about the subject matter and mm-hmm. you have to not be thinking, what am I going to say Right before somebody even makes the next statement? So also in our book, we talk a bit about how words matter and the mm. strength power of what you say. And I think that's very important for effective communication. And I'd like to just add a little more being um, my background is language and communication. (laughs) Yeah. And one of the things that I think (coughs) too often people don't realize, and that is being an effective communicator is really not just your words and what you say, but it's how you say them, Uh how you present yourself. And so it's your words, your nonverbal communication as well as your verbal communication. It's also your tone. And and as Tamara said, that um, message that you give that you are a listener, that you are looking at the speaker, that you're listening to them and not responding uh, until they've completed what they're saying. And then you build on what they're saying and check for understanding by making sure that you really know what they're talking about rather than just jumping off the end and and nobody's really on the same page. We don't want to have, yeah. we don't want to have monologues. We want to have dialogues. Mm, I like that. Not jumping to assumptions is always important. And I think that that is often a problem that we see with IEP teams. And many times it's because either the language we're using, mm-hmm. the terminology we're using is not quite completely understood by both sides. We see that so often, like with our clients where a parent will say, use a word or a district will use a word. And the other side is assuming that they understand, or they think they understand what it means, but to the other side, it's something completely different. And we're not doing those checks for understanding always. We are making those assumptions. So I think that's a great way to put it that we need to be 
And these are all things that we say we want to use as accommodations for kids often in schools and we often need them too, right? I would just add that, you know, you asked about effectively communicating. Well, in order to have an effective conversation, you really need to have a previous rapport. And so you need to set up a relationship and it's really, I know it's cliche. It's all about relationship building, but it really is. So if you go into a conversation and you want to be an effective communicator and you don't really know the person and you've not even, you know, gotten warm about, you know, any of their personal life in any way, it's harder to establish that relationship. So Peggy and I do speak in navigating special education about the importance of partnerships Mm-hmm. And the difference between individual partnership building and teams. And that's another very interesting concept. Right. And what you know, talking about communication, there are really three basic elements that <laughs> partnerships, even if you're on a team, if you're really communicating like partners, mm-hmm. one of the things as we keep mentioning is active listening. And another important aspect is that perspective taking. I need to be able to stand in your shoes and understand what you're thinking and why you're thinking it so that Mm -hmm. we can work together and communicate. And I think lastly, we have to, as partners, we have to come together and develop what we like to think of as a shared vision rather than the vision that somebody... And in the case of an IEP, often a school district says, well, this is what we're going to do for your child. It might not be the parent's vision. And so if together you come up with a vision for the child, everybody is going to become partners and work. And as our model um, talks about, once we have deep conversations, we can then start to the next level in our 5C from conversation is collaboration. But mm-hmm. you can't do that if we don't have, we can't collaborate if we're not in agreement onto that shared vision. Right. right. And to add to that, something important when we're talking about a conversation is the importance of the data. So mm-hmm. if two people have two very different visions mm-hmm. for the students, that is difficult to merge that. But when both groups or individuals bring data to the conversation, it really adds a whole other layer of things to talk about, to really delve into, to look at this data collection and to discover what one or the other person has, you know, collectively brought to that conversation. We talk a lot about the importance of data and what it could mean for effectively communicating. Right. And the reason it's important is because data really tells why you think or why you feel or why you believe the child needs. I can say as a parent, I want this for my child or my child Mm -hmm. needs something. Mm -hmm. As a teacher, we can say this is the best program, but the data will be what drives as to why this is what we believe, each of us. And then, and it's harder to argue with data if that it is, if you just, if it's my feelings, we can disagree. If I have concrete evidence, it's harder to argue with that. And so that leaves a better way to more effectively communicate with each other because you're communicating using evidence and facts. And to bring some context as to what Amanda and I experienced just a couple of 
<clears throat> real life examples. I think to have that effective communication, taking that step back, having those appropriate relationships, more right. often than not, uh, that data looks like a completely different child to the child that the, the parent you know has in their home. And so if the parent does not trust that that data was collected in a trustworthy way, in an honest way, in the fidelity of the data, it, we, we see it fall apart. Right. And so that's important for us to have parents understand that, yes, the teacher is here. They are collecting data. If there's other people that need to be collecting the data, the speech and language pathologist, the school psychologist, they can all be working together to collect that information. And then it needs to be discussed and it needs to be explained because as Amanda had pointed out, you know, a parent can say a term, just even using the term program <laughs> when they mean a specific curriculum, but they keep using the word program and the district is just, you know, fighting them. And they're at the end of the day, both could be saying the same thing. We need this curriculum, but they're just not understanding each other. So what, what is something what if- um, that a parent can do to kind of foster those relationships? Is it speaking so our, to the teacher? Uh-huh. In our book, we talk about this concept of relationship building, but we don't just say it's important to have this relationship so that you have trust, so mm-hmm. that you do feel that there was fidelity to the, you know, the collection of the data. Mm-hmm. What we talk about is something called a pre-meeting or several pre-meetings. And that could be on behalf of the administration in the building and um, coming down to the lower levels of the teacher. And so we talk about how in the very beginning of the school year, and Peggy likes to say, even the year before the next school year, or uh-huh. sort of, so you know who your caseload is going to be if you're a case manager or you're a teacher and you've got your class list, or you're a principal and you have the list of all the families in your school. This is the time to reach out. This is the time to establish a pre meeting. And I'll let Peggy explain the components of what we consider an appropriate pre meeting. Well, what we're talking about is the parents and one person that represents the district. It could be the principal, it could be mm-hmm. a psychologist, but somebody that's going to meet with the parents. This isn't an IEP meeting. This is a time where first they're going to do just what, what both of you mentioned, and that is to try to build a relationship, get to know each other, have some, you know, some kind of just casual conversation. And after you have that, so that who are you? What are you doing? Feeling that you're comfortable that I care about you, then they should just have a conversation so that the parents can share what their concerns are, that the school district can share those terminologies. One of the things we have in our book is the idea, we have two great ideas. One is that the terminology is really given to the parents so that they are mm-hmm. speaking. So if you're talking about the word program, Program is defined so that the parent Mm -hmm. knows when the district says program, this is what we need. When we say placement, this is what we need. If there Mm -hmm. are terminology, that's important. And another thing that's really important is during this conversation, we have a list in our book that talks about almost sentence starters that parents can think about when they talk about their child. So what does their child like? What happens after school, what are their concerns, all kinds of questions, what do they see as their strengths. And so 
the parents have, uh, you can give these to the parents. So now the parents have something to think about and know that when they come to this meeting, their voice is really going to be heard because the people, they've already talked to somebody who says, these are things I want you to share. And that helps and on the flip trust side, the relationship. On the flip side, Peg, right? For a teacher or for an OTPT, any of the community of practice in the school, including administrators, they have a face with that person. They have a little bit of insight into the cultural responsiveness of that family, of what makes them tick. And for a teacher, that is very powerful. And so there, it chips away a little bit at that questioning, at that trust. So beside data building trust, mm -hmm. relationships build trust. Absolutely. And in order to have those relationships, you have to meet with the family. And yep. so we suggest how to do that. But um, I did want to say, um, Peggy had brought up our 5C model, and where would we, we would be at next is that collaboration to cooperation. And mm. you only get to cooperating with you know, the people on the IEP team and making those partnerships when you've already previously gotten to know them. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you cooperate with people and collaborate with people that you trust because you're going to be working together or supporting. Right. A we look at collaboration as basically working together and cooperation where we support each other. And we know that in a, in a with children at school, the Parents and the teachers need to be in supporting each other, reinforcing what each other is doing, speaking the same language. Mm -hmm. But um, parents and educators are more likely to do that if they have that relationship, if they trust each other and then are comfortable saying, you know, I tried this and it didn't work or it's not happening at home. Let's meet. And, and so... And after cooperation, we move in our 5C model to compromise. And this is sort of where a lot of people question, well, am I going to have to give something up? Mm. The school's like, I don't want to give up a budget. I'm not giving you those supports. They don't want to give up their stance on what they feel is educationally appropriate. And then on the compromise on the side of the parents, you know, they feel like, look, I'm with my child since birth and I don't want to compromise on what I think I know is best for my child. So we try and change that mindset and we look at compromise in different ways. So if there's a disagreement when you get to compromise, we ask that you go back to having conversations, to mm -hmm. working on collaboration, working on partnership building. And then we like to think that each person has something to offer in a compromise. And sometimes neither party has to give anything up. Sometimes one person right. is so persuasive, right? That they've made so many great points that the other person is going to compromise and go along with that perspective or that plan because they have this relationship. Right. And then other times they can merge ideas that each of them had and create basically a very new and creative uh, plan that neither yeah. were thinking of. Yeah, I was going to say not to add another C, but being creative <laughs> is something that Vicky and I use in our practice almost every day. We say that, you know, this area of the law is still so new in comparison to like other areas of law, that there is room for so much creativity 
And where we find, you know, we go to IEP to IEP, we work in so many different schools and districts and teachers that we're able to pull things from, you know, one team to another and say, look, you know, we use this in this way. And I think the use of like creativity is so important and allows for that compromise to be a win-win because often it's like, you're thinking one thing and we're thinking another. Can we think of a third way that kind of satisfies But I think it is important to go through it as a discussion. One thing we always say is, let's use our WH questions. Let's answer, you know, our concerns with, you know, who, where, why, when, how, because we often say, you know, this is what I believe, or this is how I feel, but we're forgetting to say why. Why is it that this is a concern? (laughs) Or why do I not think that this is going to be productive? Like Mm -hmm. I was, the IEP I was in this morning we were talking through a discussion between having a student be pulled out for SAI, specialized academic instruction, or being pushed mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. And the school year just started. The child was be having behaviors in the past, but this school year so far, because he has an aid, things are going better. And so we discussed, you know, parents concerned, why did parent not want pull out? You know, in the past, there was a butting of the heads because the school said, we need to do pull out because he needs more support. And the parents said, I don't want to do pull out because he sees it as a punishment. But we tried to really break it down as to, you know, why does he feel and why does parent feel this way? And, and we were able to be creative and like, well, can we try this? And I think the idea of trying something too is often missed or like not suggested or not accepted. And that's something that I do all the time in meetings is like, okay, we, none of us know we're all making assumptions about what would happen or wouldn't happen. Let's try something. Let's take data. Let's be creative. Think of this third option. And and when you, that, that trial, I always like to suggest, let's just come back and depending, it can be a few weeks. It can be Hmm. right. Whatever it is, it's not a long period of time. And we're going to really see what's going on. And if it's working, or if it's not working, and nobody's committed, and there's a story in the, you know, there's stories in the book about how the power of data. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just as another thing I talked about, because we're talking about redefining that relationship that parents and educators have. So I actually did a TEDx talk on that topic of redefining the relationship. Again, it's the only way we're going to build trust. I want to add that that relationship. Right. And in our book, we actually spell out like trial periods, kind Mm -hmm. of what you're talking about, Amanda, that it's very important for school districts or for schools to not feel like, oh my God, if we try this, we're stuck with this program and placement and services for the whole school year. I just literally came out of an IEP meeting this morning and I was able to remove a young lady from a pretty intensive emotionally just a school with therapeutic services back. Uh And we were putting in all of these, we were having this great discussion and putting in all the supports we feel would make it a successful thing. And And the teachers and the case manager said, you know, what if it doesn't work? And I said, well, we can try and we're going to take data and we're going to put everything in place. And if it doesn't work, then we'll try something else. Right. And I think that if everybody uh, that goes back to we're all in our book, we talk a lot about trust and transparency. So if everyone, parents and and the school district are transparent, look, we don't know if this is going to work, but we'll try it. And Mm -hmm. honestly, if it does, this is what we want. But if it doesn't, 
we're going to go back and come up with something else. And so that's really that honesty and transparency that really the efficacy of it comes from data. And, and so I that's also, what we really need. And I also want to say that after compromise, if something new and creative comes out of these emerging ideas, we our final C is that consensus. And so when building the IP, I mean, you really want to get consensus from the parents as well. So all the members of the team, you know, need to really be on board. And so consensus to us was very important. Right. And consensus isn't just about programming. Consensus is about our vision. Consensus is about, you know, it is about programs and placement and curriculum, but it's also about our vision as to how to best meet the students' needs. And that goal of the student, you know, that which is, you know, and making sure we're always saying in our book, we talk very much about putting that child at the center of the conversation. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes we say these conversations cannot be about what the parents want and they cannot be about what the school district believes they have to offer. It's always got to be about what the child needs. And if the child is at the center of the conversation, both educators and parents are going to come to consensus because they realize that's why they're at this meeting. That's why they're doing this, to make sure that the student is successful. Ladies, as we wrap up, what is one thing that you would like a district to know and a parent to know? So I'll start with you, Tamara. So I would say to the parents... You have a voice and your voice is very important. And the way that you communicate and establish an ongoing relationship with the public education system or private school that your child is in is everything. So take the time and build these relationships. Ask for these meetings. You can have ongoing meetings. And so that is uh, just one of the points I have for parents. And in terms of for educators, um, I was a teacher for many, many years and then an assistant principal and a supervisor of many departments. And in every hat that I wore, it was the communication piece, understanding leadership and realizing if it's not about what you think, and it's not about what the parent thinks, but it is about what this student needs to receive individually, then nothing's going to go wrong. So just keep that in mind as you build these relationships. Excellent. And I love it, Tamara. And I guess I will say that many times Tamara and I say that after working on this book, that we have created a third voice that the two of us think so Mm -hmm. much like. So what I'm going to do is going to build on what, what, Tamara said, because I really come from the same mindset. And that is, as far as the parents having a voice, one of the things that we as educators have always noticed is parents are sometimes afraid to speak up or reluctant or feel that they're, they don't know because they're not the teacher. And what we like to say is, yes, the teachers have the education and the experience and background as educators. But guess what? parents have a PhD in their child and they know their child best. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so if they have the confidence to share what they know and there's that trust, okay, what you're telling me is important, then everyone, they will have a voice. And as far as educators, yes, it's, I mean, as a communication expert, 
Mm. It's all about communication. And Mm. I just have to emphasize that it's always about not just saying what we want, but really explaining in every way through data, through examples, and through listening to the other person's perspective on understanding why we believe, whether we're the educator or the parent, why we believe that this is the best program. So it comes to a shared vision. Right. Wonderful. What and then the why. Wonderful. So ladies, where can people find your book? Amazon. We also have a, we have a website, navigatingspecialeducation.com. Peggy and I also have our own individual websites and you can get our book from Amazon, amazon amazon.com. And if you enjoy it and really feel that it has a lot of tidbits and tools, please leave a positive recommendation with Amazon. It helps us keep our book sales up. And we are really trying to change mindset. And when you do this across the whole country, we need as many people to read and utilize our book, Navigating Special Education, as possible. That is exactly right. Ladies, thank you so much for your time and your work. Listeners, if you enjoyed or have any questions, just send us a DM and we will talk to you next week. Bye. 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 Thank Thank you so much. Thank you so much.